0: If you have your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, as we're the gathered body of Christ, as His church here in this community, we're, we're now looking to Him. Uh, we're turning our eyes towards Him, tuning our hearts to His song, to His rhythm. And so we are continuing our series this morning, working through uh, the parables of Jesus. Last week, we looked at one of the most ignored easily one of the most ignored uh, parables, uh, or, or maybe just the most avoided in general. Uh, and this week we are going to look at one of the most recognized, one of the most referenced, one of the most quoted parables of them all. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so what I do now is I'd ask you to stand with me as we look to God's Word. Someone asked me recently why we do this each week. Why do we stand for the reading of God's Word. I've, I've never done that before. Why do we do that? There, there are several reasons, and I'll let you know uh, more and more of those reasons. But one of them, uh, one of them is we stand because the King is speaking. Uh, we stand because there is no more important thing that you are going to hear this morning, I promise you, than what God is going to say to us through His Word. We stand at attention because the Lord is speaking, and there is no higher voice to hear. So let's hear from Him now. This is Luke 10, starting in verse 25. to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for not being a God who is distant, not being one who is far off, being one who draws near, who comes to us, Help us to remember that it's you who takes the first step towards us. It's never us. God, we didn't come seeking you. God, you came running to us like the Father to the Son. And so we pray now that you would speak, Lord, that we might hear. I pray that you would open our deaf ears, Lord, that you would, that you would open our blind eyes. God, I pray that you would go to work on our hearts this morning. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you may be seated. One of the highlights uh, for me each weekday is, is taking uh, our, our daughter to school. Uh, we, get to, we get to spend that time. Life is busy for us in general. I'm sure none of you uh, know what that feels like, uh, but it's busy for us. It'd be difficult for us to find moments. It's difficult for me as a father to find moments with like, each one of my children, where I get to talk to them, where I get to hear their heart. I get to know them uh, one-on-one, and, and, and I know... Uh, that's just a season we're in. I, I already know that. You don't have to come up and tell me it's going to go by fast. We know they're growing up too fast, okay? It breaks our hearts at times um, that they're growing up so fast because we know this is, this is going to pass, and one day we'll wish that life was so busy again with our kids. But usually our, our rides to school are a mix of uh, music, okay? Uh, music uh, mix of conversation. Uh, I like to play the drums on the steering wheel. That's my gift in music, uh, right there. Uh, and it's debatable for sure. There's usually a little bit of dancing um, in the on the car ride. She can vouch for this. This is all true uh, to her embarrassment. Um, that that's what it is. She sets the music, uh, and then I I I do everything I can to embarrass her in the car. Um, and my it, it doesn't say much about you if your best dancing is when you're sitting down behind a steering wheel. But that's me, okay? That's as, that's as good as it gets. As we, as we pulled into the parking lot of her school this week, she starts telling me about her PE class. And this stood out because normally, we don't normally talk about school, to be perfectly honest. We talk about all kinds of other things, but not school. And she's telling me about these boys in her PE class. They are, they are playing basketball right now in her PE class, and this is middle school boys, okay? So, you know, they take it so seriously. Um, they are convinced, these, these 13, 14-year-old kids, that this is, right now, the proving ground for the rest of life, all right? They are They are working as hard as they can to establish themselves in the sort of the pecking order that's going to follow throughout. They want to make sure that they're at the top, so they're hyper-aggressive, even with like the girls, and they're really not understanding that that's probably not... <laughs> the thing that's going to make a girl respond positively to them. So they, they haven't figured that out. That moment of epiphany hadn't quite happened for them where they, where they, where they changed the way they do everything for the sake of, well, for the sake of a girl. Uh, it reminds me a lot of this passage, though, that sort of behavior you see amongst middle school boys. And in, in our passage this morning, we had this lawyer, okay? An expert in the law, specifically the law of Moses. That's his expertise, He's not a character in the parable. We need to be careful about it. This guy's not a character in the parable. He's a character in the true story of Jesus' life. He's a person who would have enjoyed a position of cultural authority. He was a legal scholar. People would have looked to him. He was the guy who was used to having the answers. He would have been accustomed to people looking to him for that. He would have enjoyed that. He would have definitely posted his expertise on Facebook. All right? He was that guy. If there was ever a question about what's happening, he is going to have a status to inform you about how you should feel about that. And we're told in this story that he stood up to put Jesus to the test. So he's ready to take on the new rabbi in town, the new teacher. He's like a middle school boy looking to establish the hierarchy, all right? Looking to, looking to establish the, the, the pecking order. And either maintain his place at the top or try and work his way to that place. And while it's certainly not happening on a basketball court, it's not happening on a playing field. It's the same game. He's playing the same game that we see played out all the time. He is testing Jesus. And normally what we do when we're trying to test others is we choose a field of our expertise. And so he does that exact thing. He chooses the law. He asks a question, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Notice that he acknowledges the position of Jesus. He calls him teacher. Now, we, we know that a teacher is one who gives instruction, right? A teacher has a position of authority, although I would, I would guess that some of our, our contemporary teachers in the room would wonder whether or not that authority is still, is still there in our schools. And so as you see this, the, the, we understand that the point is that the lawyer knows something about who Jesus is. Like he's, he's, he's not, this is not his first time seeing him. He's heard about this man. He knows he's a teacher. And then Jesus does something unexpected. He responds with a question of his own. And this shows us something of the character of Jesus. Oftentimes, if we pay close attention, there is, there is and you know this from life, there's a question behind the question. Most of us operate from a fairly guarded position most of the time. We like to protect ourselves and not, not give too much of our heart. The question we typically ask is like the emissary going out onto the battlefield under the white flag to meet the advancing army and try and negotiate the terms of what's about to happen. We want to send that one out first. We come in peace. All the while, there's a real question in the back of our mind. There's a real question that's burning there that we want to know. And so Jesus understands this. He knows that there's more happening here than what is obvious on the surface. And so he asked the expert in the Mosaic law, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And his response, we should be clear, is spot on. It is spot on. He, he knew the answer to his own question before he ever asked it. His answer is solidly biblical, by the way. It's a combination of Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It's a great answer because it's a correct answer. It's a correct answer. It mirrors what Jesus himself said in Matthew 22. That's the essence of all true religion. Love for God and love for your neighbor. An expert in the Mosaic law would know this. He would know that the first four commandments on the first tablet of the law have direct correspondence to our to our relationship with God. It's the vertical pieces. It's it's that there's one God, there's no graven image, do not take the Lord of the of God in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. These are our these are the vertical pieces. It's our relationship with God. That's the that's wholehearted. Just what we just talked about with the kids. It's wholehearted love for God. He would know that the next six commandments, that the second tablet of the law were directed at at the relationship between man and man, to to honor your father and mother, to do not murder, to to do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do, do not covet your neighbor's possessions. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus is effectively telling this man to practice what he has just preached. But the lawyer doesn't stop there. We're told that desiring to justify himself, he asked Jesus another question. He, he asked him, and who is my neighbor? And it's at this point that Jesus begins the parable. And we, we have a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's about a 17-mile trip. The Jer- Jericho Road was uh, notorious as a haven for, uh, for thieves and robbers. It's a very steep decline. There's a lot of caves, a lot of rock outcroppings, a lot of places to hide. The Jericho Road was not a safe passage for travel. And this man, we're told, fell among robbers, and and they roughed him up pretty bad. It it says that he was left half dead. So the idea here is that they, they took everything from him. Everything, he's, he's lying there on the side of the road, he's, he's naked, okay, he is beaten, and he is, at this point, as we are to understand it, he is helpless. And we're told that by chance, a priest was going down that road. Traditionally, many of the priests who served in the temple actually lived in Jericho. It was, it was, like, a, it was like a priestly suburb of, of Jerusalem. And so this priest is presumably returning home following his season of serving at the temple, Jesus is clear that the priest, we need to know this, that he saw him. That he saw this man. He was not hidden. He wasn't, he wasn't out of sight. No, no. He, he saw him. And in that moment, this priest, this one who was supposed to, who was called to intercede for the people. He was called to offer sacrifices for the people. That was his role. That's what Numbers 8 tells us about this group of the priests. They were given as a gift from God. And this is what Numbers 8 says. It says to do the service for the people of Israel at the tent of meeting and to make atonement for the people of Israel. But this priest, this priest, when he saw the helpless man, were told that he passed by on the other side. And it's possible that he didn't want to, maybe he thought the man was dead. Maybe he thought he was dead and he didn't want to defile himself. He wanted to become ceremonially unclean by getting involved with a dead dead man. Perhaps he wanted to preserve his cleanliness. Uh, One commentator pointed out that to preserve his legal cleanliness, he heartlessly transgressed the entire second tablet of the law. The reality is that this move to the other side was about self-preservation. It was about self-centered preservation. It was about what was best for him. The same thing happens with the Levite. The Levites were the assistants to the priest. They were descendants of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Moses and Aaron. Surely this one who comes from the line of Moses, the great liberator of God's people, surely this man would stop to assist in liberating this man from his current helpless state, but he, like the priest, passed by on the other side. Like most of his parables, this one comes with a twist. But nobody listening to him Nobody listening to him would have expected this turn in the story. You and I know it's coming. We do. We've heard this story before. More than likely you've heard this story before. And so we know it's coming and so it loses some of the impact. The Samaritans and the Jews were not on good terms and that's the biggest understatement you'll hear all day. The Jews viewed the Samaritans as a mongrel race of compromising heretics. And I don't care who you are. If somebody thinks you're a mongrel, y'all are not going to be friends, Okay. This went back over 400 years. 400 years these two groups had utterly despised one another. 400 years they had detested one another. We think of the woman at the well in John 4. Remember how how she could not even believe that Jesus would talk to her because he was a Jew and she was a woman of Samaria. But Jesus continues the parable. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. All right, this is not the way that this story is supposed to go. In the minds of everybody there at that time, this is not the way this story is supposed to go. Why would he choose to even put a Samaritan in the story? We don't mention these people. We don't even go through their town. If we have to travel... To Galilee, we literally go around them and cross a river two times to avoid setting foot on their dirty ground. Why would you even put a Samaritan in this story? And if he's going to put a Samaritan in this story, then surely he should be the villain. He should be the bad guy. Because that's what the Samaritan is. He's the bad guy. Maybe it's the Samaritan who robbed him. Why don't we make Jesus, here, change the story. It's the Samaritan who came and beat the guy up, stripped him, robbed him, and left him for dead. Now it's a story that we can get on board with because we hate the Samaritan. But that's not what Jesus did. It's not what Jesus did. and It's difficult to overstate the hatred that existed between these two groups of people. 400 years is a long time. By my count, the United States is officially 242 years old give or take a couple months. And think of some of the deep-seated hatred that exists between different groups just within our country, people who we, who we would say are our countrymen. This would be like a Nazi stopping to help an allied soldier on Omaha Beach, like in the middle of the fighting. This would be like a Tiger fan stopping to help a Gamecock on I-26 during the fall. Like, this like, is just not gonna happen. And we laugh, but I know some folks who would hesitate for more than a second to stop and help somebody if they had the wrong sticker on the back window, okay? Here in this context, Jesus makes a bad guy. He makes the person that you hate, whoever that person is, and I don't know everybody's heart in this room, he makes whoever you would say, there's no way, he makes that person the hero of the story. A Jewish listener would have been shocked. Not that the Samaritan helped, but that the Samaritan didn't come over and finish him off. Oh, a weakened Jew? Now's my chance. That would have been their expectation based on a 400 year old paradigm that they have lived every single day. But Jesus blew up their paradigm with just one sentence. This wasn't a shift in thinking. This was an an equivalent of an ideological Moab that he just dropped on their entire way of thinking about the Samaritan people. All of their presuppositions about, about the nature of human relationships. The Samaritans saw him and were told he felt compassion. If you have a highlighter or you're an underliner, that's a good word to spend some ink on. Just that one word, compassion. And it's okay, you're allowed to do that. You are, you are liberated from the fear of writing in there. I don't believe you're adding to the Bible when you do that. Um, I always know which ones are my words and which ones are God's because m- mine are written in there. It makes it easy for me to distinguish. Other places that word for compassion can be translated as pity. It's the same exact word. It means that he was deeply moved, that he was deeply moved. His, his stomach sank and his, and his heart actually ached as he saw this man lying in the aftermath of such violence. And then the Samaritan did four things. I'm gonna point out four things he did. The first is he went to him. This seems subtle and it seems simplistic, but that's the first step. And it's always the first step that's the most difficult. He went to him. While the first two took active steps to move away from him, they weren't just indifferent to him. They saw him and they actively, moved away from him. While the first two moved away from him, the Samaritan took active steps to move toward the man. While the priest and the Levite demonstrated gross indifference, gross hatred, the absence of feeling, the absence of interest, the a total mercilessness and apathy, the Samaritan took an interest. He took an interest and then he went to him. That's the first thing, he just went to him. The second is that he bound up his wounds. So he didn't just go see him. He didn't just go see him. This wasn't first century rubbernecking, okay? He wasn't gawking at what has happened to this man. No, he, he, he kneels down beside him. He's not just near him. And you need to visualize what's happening in this story. He's kneeling in the dirt beside this man. He is now intimately involved in this situation. I'll never forget one day when, uh, in, in, in my former life in construction, when I was on a job site and one of our one of our guys made a mistake and he just sliced his hand uh, wide open. It was it was it was disgusting. Okay, we we sat down. At my job at this point is to make sure that we don't get a lawsuit or something. So I'm, 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 I'm working with this guy. I'm bandaging, bandaging him up. I, I took him to the urgent care. We walk in. Uh, the lady looks at us like something terrible has happened. And we're thinking, yes, something terrible has happened. Um, and as I'm walking uh, back, the receptionist said, now, where, where are you injured? That was her question to me. Where are you injured? And I'm fine. Goes, well, there's a lot of blood on you. Oh, that's all His. You see, you talk about a man being stripped and beaten within an inch of his life. It's a messy thing. This isn't a boo-boo. This is a man who is is bleeding. He is dirty. He is broken. And our Samaritan has knelt down beside him and he's entered into that world. He bandaged him up, bound up his wounds. That's the second scene. The third thing, he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end. He didn't just leave him. I mean, that would have been a good thing. At least he went and helped him, but he didn't just leave him there. He didn't just leave him. He saw the vulnerability. Like when you're down there with somebody who's hurt, you, you feel them shaking. You probably hear the moan. You hear the sobs of pain, agony. So he takes the next step to secure not just this moment, but future moments. The word cared for him means that he showed diligent concern. You can see this, you can see at this point that the need for care overrides condition. That, it, that he's willing to do whatever it will take for the health of this man. And it's going to cost him, like real cost. Not just a few minutes. This isn't pulling over and say, hey, can I help you? You're good, all right, and then zipping off. This is, I'm in the dirt with you you need help. I'm going to help you. This is going to be costly for him. He stands to lose in this deal because the other man, stripped, beaten, half dead, has nothing to offer him. There's nothing to repay him. He has nothing. This man just cares too much to let that stand in the way. That's the third thing. He, he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an end. The fourth is that he paid in advance to the innkeeper for extended care. He went above and beyond. He went the extra step that nobody would expect. He didn't say, Well, I guess he's your problem now. Like, I got him here. He's in his country. I'm just going to leave him here and let the innkeeper deal with him. He didn't do that. You see, at some point, I imagine the Samaritan asked himself a really simple question. At some point in this whole scene, he asked himself this question, what would I want someone to do for me if I was in this situation? What would I hope as I'm lying in the ditch that someone would do for me if I found myself lying in that ditch? You see, his compassion, it was his compassion that became his motivation. Real sacrifice, real love, all demonstrated. And so Jesus closes this out with a question. Which of these three, he's asking the man now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? That's an interesting way to end this parable. The lawyer had asked him, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? That was the original question back in verse 29. And in a subtle way, Jesus is telling him, he's communicating to this lawyer that he, you're actually asking the wrong question. See, the lawyer wants to know who he is obligated to love. Tell me which rule it is and, and who falls within that rule so that I can make sure that I love them enough to inherit eternal life. Help me figure out what the filter is so I can make sure I don't waste time with peaceful outside of that filter. Who am I obligated to care for? Remember, he wants to justify himself. Coming out of the whole beginning of this section, the original question was, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Tell me that rule to follow. Tell me what I need to do. What What is the thing that I need to do in order that God will welcome me into his house? Just give me the rule. He's an elder brother. He is an elder brother, if you remember our time with the two sons in in, in Luke 15. He's an elder brother to 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 the farthest reaches. Jesus lets him know he's asking the wrong question. Instead of, who is my neighbor? He should be asking whether he is treating as a neighbor those whom he comes into contact with. Am I treating others as if they are my neighbor? Jesus asked, which one of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? He said, the one who showed mercy. He said, The neighbor is the one who actively showed, the one who actively demonstrated, the one who actively gave him mercy. It's the one who did the neighboring. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Stop worrying so much about who is your neighbor and start being a neighbor to those around you. We don't know what became of that lawyer. And we, have, we have no idea what happened to him. We don't, we don't know what he did that evening or the next day. We have no idea if he went and did that and, and, and lived. Anything beyond this moment right here is pure speculation. We just know what he was told to do. Be a neighbor. And here's what normally happens with this parable. We hear it and it sounds good. We hear it and it sounds good. I mean, this sounds right, Yeah. This is what we should do. Yes, we should treat one another that way. Uh, you should demonstrate. We, we should demonstrate to one another uh, what it means to be a neighbor. We should go and do likewise. You see, compassion creates urgency for us. Compassion demands response. It demands that we move. It demands that we go and do likewise. But not long after this, the disciples who were listening were given a greater glimpse of this parable. Beyond just a spoken word, Jesus himself was going to act this out. He would demonstrate the truth that he is the true and the better good Samaritan. He is the one who sees us covered in our sin. You see, he sees us exposed. All the stuff that we hide from one another, Jesus sees all that. Jesus sees all of that. We are totally exposed before him. You have no secrets. You are naked. You are beaten and lying on the ground and helpless in this world apart from him. He sees the wounds that we have. He sees the wounds that have been self-inflicted and he sees the wounds that others have inflicted against us. He sees the pain. He sees the sorrow. He hears the moan. He feels the shaking. He has knelt down in the dirt beside us because he knows us and he is moved with compassion. He sees your fear. He sees your broken heart. He sees the hopelessness of our situation. And rather than passing by on the other side, rather than turning away, moved with compassion, moved by love, he came to us. He came to you. He came to you with all your mess, all the stuff that you're like, yeah, but if he knew, no, he knows. He knows. He came to you when you were at your worst. He came to you when you were at your worst. He came to me. But instead of just binding up our wounds, instead of just leaving us there, instead of just being a friendly face on the side of the road, instead of just taking care of us, he came and he took our place. And there's the difference. So that by his wounds, right? By his wounds, we are healed. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that our good Samaritan is also our priest who became our priest not by tribe, not by name, but by offering up of of himself a sacrifice to satisfy the divine justice and to reconcile us to God. and, And he continues today making intercession for us. Like he still hasn't left. He's still paying the innkeeper for us because I don't know about y'all, but I continue to find myself in ditches. I continue to get dirty in this world. I continue to get beaten by the trappings of this world and I continue to fall into my own sin, my own self-inflicted wounds. And so Jesus has paid in advance for us. He has not left us. He took the baggage of our sin. He took our beating. He took our death. And now he takes care of us. It's that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, while we were the Jewish brother laying on the ground, our good Samaritan came to us, broken, beaten, estranged sinners. And in that, Christ died for us. He binds up our wounds. He carries us into the safety of his house. He sends his Holy Spirit as a gift To move in, around, and through us. And so now, by grace through faith, we have been redeemed. We have been restored, and we are being renewed. To use the language of this parable, very simply, Jesus is caring for us. He became our neighbor. Moved by love, moved by compassion, Jesus came and he neighbored us. You see, that's the gospel right there. He forgot about the pecking order. You see, Jesus doesn't operate like a middle school boy. He knows where the top of the order is. And he was willing to leave the top of the order to come and take our place on the bottom. That's the gospel. And he tells us very simply, you go and do likewise. You go, you go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Father, we can't thank you enough uh, for the gift that you have given us in Christ. But we should use every ounce of energy that we have trying. And so God, I do thank you. I thank you that you are a God who saves, that you are a God who loves, that you felt compassion for us, that you felt compassion for me, that you felt love for me when I was unlovable and that even on my days right now when I am unlovable, you continue to love, you continue to care for. God, help us to remember that you, very simply, Lord, you didn't come here just to make, just to make bad people good. You didn't come here just to make good people act better, uh, but you came here to redeem sinners unto life. You came to make the dead alive. Lord, help us to walk in that truth this week. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our good Samaritan. We thank you in his name. Amen.